Well, my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at Huntington Community Church, and glad you're here. If you are a guest um, and you have children with you, uh, at this time we have an opportunity for them, like pre-K to third grade, they can go to class, um, just make sure they're signed in, or they can stay in here. Uh, it's either way. We don't, we don't mind if they stay in here. If you're a guest this morning, um, maybe you've heard about us and people have in, invited you and like, oh, we love this church, you should come, and so maybe you finally come this morning and, and, and maybe you were expecting like this big show, this big uh, just, I don't know, just to be entertained. I just want to remind um, all of us that um, Sunday mornings is not about entertaining each other. Uh, I think so many, and just coming from this church planners conference, I think there was a little bit of that there with like, you know, how can we like persuade people to come to our church and, and, and make it like the cool church. And really what, what I was encouraged with this week was just a reminder that, that life isn't changed, transformed from like one cool event. You know what I mean? Like, like we could spend all of our energy on Sunday morning and making it the coolest, whatever the coolest way, whatever that is, how we would define it. And in this room, we would define that completely differently. Some of you, like, cool would be, like, smoke machines and lights. And then for others, it's, it's you know, you would more, you would more like uh, liturgy uh, and, and hymns. And so, you know, defining cool was going to be different in this room. But what, what was really just impressed on me this week was that Life, like we're transformed really not by like one cool event, but by years of just the ordinary. You realize that? Like just coming together every week, every week, um, and, and just encouraging one another. That's, that's how life really is. Like uh, I think sometimes we're always seeking for that, like that mountaintop experience. But really life is mainly lived in between the mountain and the valleys. And so, all that to say, if you like this morning, then I'd encourage you to come back, because pretty much what we do this morning is what we do every week, uh, and, and if you don't like this morning, then maybe try one more time, but then if not, there's other churches out there that you might enjoy better, might fit you, but this is kind of who we are, and uh, we just take time singing, encouraging one another, singing to the Lord, preparing our hearts to get into God's Word, and then... Um, and then we just dive into Scripture, and uh, we'll spend 35, 40 minutes in Scripture each week. I really think that's important for us, and then we'll sing some more songs. This morning, we have the absolute joy of taking the Lord's Supper together, uh, so we'll do that a little bit later. And I love that um, many of you um, who, who come here know that I wasn't here last week. I had the flu, but what I love is, like, I could be in bed and, and like, not worry that you weren't going to be fed. That I knew Dustin would faithfully teach God's word last week, and you guys would be fed. And so that's so encouraging for me. Um, so with that, let's turn to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. We have two more weeks of Hebrews. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew in the fall. And so... First Baptist Canova, First Baptist Ashland, the three of us will be going through the book of Matthew starting in the fall. And I thought it would be fun for the summer to get us ready for that, to go through Genesis 1 through 11. 
The book of Matthew is a lot about the Son of Man and Jesus presenting himself in that way. And so Genesis 1 through 11 is really uh, fascinating because it traces who this Son of Man is. And you see this promise uh, early in Genesis, and then you start to see um, the narrative following that promise. And so in a couple weeks we'll be starting in Genesis, but this morning we are... Um, in the middle section of Hebrews 13. And uh, if you like titles, I would title this, Jesus the Ultimate Leader. And you're going to see him just lifted high this morning. I'm telling you, whatever you bring into this room this morning, whatever baggage, sin, uh, depravity, mistakes, failures, I, I pray that you are so encouraged by, by this Jesus this morning. That he can look at you in your mess, and he can do an incredible work in your mess. And he can make you clean, spotless, holy, redeemed. It, this is incredible. So let's, let's jump into this this morning. Hebrews 13. Um, and, and just because we weren't in Hebrews last week, let me just recap. So uh, we, we made this shift in, in Hebrews to where it began to give us a bunch of exhortations, a bunch of commands, and, um, and, and so that's where we pick up with. We pick up another one of these exhortations in verse 7. It says this, it says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, let me just say up front. This week and next week, uh, the author brings up this idea of church leaders. And I will just be honest, if, if we didn't preach through a book of the Bible, I would never preach this. Uh, in fact, it's just kind of awkward for me to talk about um, leadership positions with me being in one. But um, this week it says, remember your leaders. Now, how do we know that these are church leaders, not just any type of leaders? Well, you see here it says, those who spoke to you the word of God. So now, here's some things we can deduct from that passage, that verse, to understand uh, um, some, uh, the role of this leader. This leader is an elder, elder pastor, um, bishop. Those are all synonymous terms. And this is, this is someone who, who teaches. They speak the word of God. So it is important that whoever stands up in this place, wherever we are, you know, if, if we're in this building 5, 10, 20 years from now, uh, you know, one day I'm going to be gone. I'm going to either go to another church or die. I'm not going to be here forever. Who is ever standing here should be someone that speaks the word of God. It should not be someone who gives you their opinion. It should not be someone who gives you eight ways to have a better week, four ways to be a better uh, employee. They need to preach the Word of God. And if those things come out of the Word of God, so be it. But we need to first start with the Word of God and not with just ways to have a better life, ways to have a better marriage. We need to preach the Word of God and let all the practical things come out of the Word of God. And so that's why we want to always preach um, through books of the Bible um, we'll, we'll, we'll break from that every now and then and, and preach some topical things, but 
we just want to make sure that, that the leaders here are preaching the Word of God. And it says to remember your leaders. Um, and, and you'll see next week that part of the way you remember them is by praying for them. So, so you're remembering um, leadership of your church, that, that there's, a, there's a uniqueness to the leadership. And you'll see that more next week um, as we continue to walk through that. But suffice to say this morning is that leaders need to be preaching the word of God. And then the congregation here that the author is writing to, it says, consider their outcome and their way of life and imitate uh, their faith. This is why I don't like this kind of passage. It feels weird for me to tell you to imitate my life. But that's what the Word of God says, that, that leaders, so here's another thing that we, we should understand about leaders here, is that you should always, and I say you, congregation, so the way our church is structured is we are elder-led, congregational rule, okay? Elder-led, congregational rule, meaning that the elders lead the vision of this church. Uh, we don't ask that the congregation vote for every little thing. Uh, we understand that the congregation puts people in leadership, so uh, the congregation put me in this position but then they don't micromanage me. They say, we want you to lead, but I have to also answer to this congregation. And so the congregation puts leaders into position, but then we allow them to lead in that position. And so we put people into position uh, who meet the requirements listed in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1. Those are called pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and in Titus. And so in those three letters, Paul was writing to those men, to those churches, saying, when you put people in position, they need to look like this. And churches will mess up when they begin to put people in those positions that don't meet and match those requirements, but just have a willingness to do it. When someone just says, hey, I'm willing to serve in that role, that's great. We love your desire, but we got to make sure that your life, your character matches what Scripture says. That it's not just about your willingness. It's about a way of living. And so you guys saw something in me that, that apparently I match those requirements that Bruce Mosser, Joe Dorsey meets the requirements of elders, and we have several Deacons and deaconesses that meet those requirements listed in First Timothy chapter 3. And so that's, that's the people that it's talking about here. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. This is why leadership is so important in a church. You should be a part of a church to where you can look at the leadership and if, you're, if you wouldn't want to have that kind of characteristics, then you shouldn't be at that church. Because what happens, this is the scariest thing um, that, about being in leadership. And this is so true. I've seen, I've seen this happen. Is you begin to take on the characteristics of the leadership of that church. And, and I hear it. Some of you will begin to pray the way I pray. And what makes 
my heart move will make your heart move. It's really scary. It's the same thing with parenting. Parents, I mean, those of you with little children, have you noticed like they begin to pray what you pray, right? And they begin to act like you act. And so for leaders, this is what, man, this is, puts a lot of pressure on me. I've got to become the man that I would want you guys to become. That I've got to live my life in such a way to where if you guys start to act like me and pray like me, that I can rest my head down at night and be okay with that. That frightens me to death. Same in parenting, it frightens me as a parent, thinking my, that my sons are going to become a lot like me and my daughters are probably going to find a, a man to marry very similar to their father. Frightens me. Frightens me. So dads, you've got to become that for your family. Church leaders, Bruce, Joe, deacons, deaconess, we've got to become that for this church. And it says here, it says, imitate their faith. Why would the author say this? That sounds so crazy, right? The idea is that, that your leadership should be chasing after who? It's okay, you can talk. You sh- the leaders of this church should be chasing after Jesus in such a way that if they're chasing after Jesus, if they're running after the cross, and you're running after them, who should you also be chasing and running after? Christ. And so that's the idea here is that we're becoming Christ in flesh, that we're showing you, we're modeling you what it should look like to have a daily walk with Christ. I don't like this verse, (laughs) but it's here, so i got to preach it. Now, like I mentioned earlier, I'm going to be gone one day, I'm going to grow old and die, or I'm going to leave. Bruce and Joe are going to check out also other elders. Leadership's going to change over years. And, um, and I love verse 8. It's just a good reminder. Verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So here's this picture that leadership is going to change, but Christ, the ultimate leader, is not going to change. He should always be the one who leadership is chasing after, that we are looking after and going, how can we be more like Jesus? And so as long as the congregation continues to put people in leadership that meets 1 Timothy 3 and Titus, and let me just tell you, we worked really hard to have a church that puts people in leadership who should be there, that meets those biblical qualifications. If I'm 80 and I find out that you guys uh, uh, stop putting people in leadership because of who the Bible says and you just put people in leadership just because, like, you couldn't find anybody else and they were a warm body still breathing, I'm, I'm going to be so upset. I'm going to get up out of that hospital bed or wherever I am or roll over in my grave. I'm begging you, church, please. And this is like, I, there's a lot of you in your 20s. You're going to be here for many, many years. Make sure you always put people in leadership that meet the requirements from 1 Timothy 3 and Titus. The moment you stop doing that as a church is when we're going to start going downhill. And as we walk out this building this morning and we look across the street to see the church building over there, that's what we're going to become. So I promise you at some point that church building over there when it was a church, 
at some point they stopped putting people in leadership that met those qualifications, and that was the moment they began to die. And I promise you, that's the moment we will begin to die when we stop putting people in leadership that meet those requirements. And that Jesus Christ, he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and, and what an incredible promise that, that, that we all have people in our lives that you have, you know, could be a spouse, they have like bad mood. Jesus never has a bad mood. He's never one way one day, another way another day. He is the same. Isn't that so encouraging? Like, man, like I can get so moody. Uh, and I, I've shared this before. Like, in the wintertime, uh, about two or three years in the marriage, Olivia looked at me and she said, you know, you, you know what? You're miserable to live with in the wintertime. I'm, I'm thankful for that kind of honesty in my marriage. And, uh, and, and she's right. She was spot on. I am not the same in the winter than I am in the spring and summer. I am the happiest guy in spring and summer. Like when people start cutting grass and baseball's on TV, I'm the happiest guy. But when, when it's cold and rainy every day in Huntington forever and ever, it seems like, I am miserable to be around, not Jesus. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. That's so encouraging. Um, and then, uh, because this leadership will change, he gives this um, reminder in verse 9, 9-11, and it's kind of a warning. In verse 9 he says, do not be uh, led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin, are burned outside the camp. All right, now let's just, let's just unpack this, because this is, this is why Hebrews is such a confusing book. Like, we're, like, remember your leaders, okay, we can get that. Jesus doesn't change, we get that. But then it gets into all this stuff, really that Old Covenant, Old Testament stuff, and it gets, it's just like, what in the world are you talking about, these animals and, and, and um, these, this blood and this altar, and you have no right to eat in this tent. What in the world is going on? Well, um, it's a reminder again that, that, that you've got to have good teaching because there's some people teaching um, that are teaching false doctrine. And so it's coming back to this idea of teaching and teaching the right things. And here he's going back to this old covenant, this idea that there's a, you remember, um, this, this idea that from the time they left, the Israelites left Exodus, to the time they had um, uh, conquered Israel and began to, to build the temple under Solomon's leadership, they had this tent, this tabernacle, uh, that it wasn't permanent. And you remember when they were in the wilderness, they would move around, and so God would move them around whenever... 
God would move, they would pick up the tent and move it. Well, this is where this is coming from, this whole idea of this, um, like verse 10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. And so the priests couldn't just eat the food that people would bring to them to make sacrifices. Um, They had to do something with it. They had to discard the body. And here in verse 11, we see that it's, it's a reminder that the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought in uh, to the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burnt outside the camp. So people would bring in, um, they'd either bring money, because um, if they didn't have an animal to bring, they'd bring money and pay for one that was there. You could buy it there. Um, but then the high priest or the priest would take that animal, make a sacrifice, uh, take that blood and sprinkle it and atone for that sin. But then that body of that animal, they couldn't just do whatever they wanted with it. They'd have to take it outside the camp and burn it. And so that's what this is talking about. It gets a little confusing. Um, but I, I just want you to see how beautiful this is, that he's tying all this together. So stay here. Just mark Hebrews 13. But go back with me to Numbers 5. This is absolutely beautiful. The first time I heard this preached was at Together for the Gospel a number of years ago by a guy named Legan Duncan. And, man, it was just beautiful um, what he can do with the Old Testament. In Numbers 5, so this is that season of Israel's history where they're not, they're not living in Israel yet. They're not in Egypt. They're kind of in that between where they're wandering around in the wilderness. And um, God is telling them how to live during that time. And in Numbers 5... So Numbers is the fourth book of the, of the Bible. And in Numbers 5, um, verse 1 says this, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel um, that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or has a discharge and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. You shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp, that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. All right, let's stop here. So we see that God is saying, I dwell where? Inside the camp. You see that in verse 3? He's saying, I dwell in the midst of this camp. And anybody that is unclean, and he gives us some idea of what unclean would be, in verse 2, he says, anyone who is leprous, so that's someone who has some kind of skin disease, okay? It's highly contagious or has a discharge. So it could be um, someone who has some type of sore. Uh, it could be a blood discharge or anyone who is unclean through the contact with the dead. So if someone was dead, you weren't allowed to just touch them. If you touched them, then you would become unclean. So if you had some kind of skin disease or you had some kind of discharge from your body, um, uh, even like something like pink eye would be that category, um, or you touch someone who has been dead or something that's been dead, okay, then that would make you unclean. So this would even be types of animals. Uh, then you would be considered unclean. And what that would mean is... So inside the camp, 
You remember they had the tent, okay? The tent was inside the camp. And the tent is where God dwelt. And you remember this series, how, you remember how we've talked about it, that tent had the veil, and behind the veil was the Holy of Holies, had the Ark of the Covenant, and this is where God dwelt. And the farther you got from that veil, the kind of the farther you were from the presence of God. And so outside the, the tent, you had the camp. So this would be, think of like city, okay? And then if you were unclean, you had to go outside of the camp. You couldn't be inside the camp because you were unclean. Now, now think about that. You're faithful Jew. You've been obedient to God. And uh, maybe you touched a child. It was your son or daughter is not feeling well. They had something wrong with them. They came in contact with someone they were playing with. And, and, and now you touch your child and now you're, you're unclean. Uh, you have some kind of discharge uh, and you'd become unclean. You would have to go outside the camp. You couldn't stay inside. You were unclean. And this sounds so strange. Like you, you've been so obedient, but yet because of you come in contact just by Chance, you've developed something, and now you become unclean. You've got to leave the presence of God, and you're outside. Um, verse 4 says, And the people of Israel did so, and put them outside the camp, as the Lord said to Moses, so the people of Israel did. Now, this may seem harsh, but you see God's uh, heart in this, that he's, a very, he's very much a father in this. He's He's pastoral in this. Uh, this is good. Um, you got to think about that time. Uh, last week I had the flu. I um, uh, and just by the way, uh, Jay has moved up on uh, the deacon, like deacon of the year list. Uh, Jay took me to the ER last week, Matt. Did you know that, Matt? Have you taken any of your people to the ER yet this year? Jay Lacani took me to the ER, and it was like walking in with a celebrity. Let me just tell you. So I walked in with Jay, just went right back. It was amazing. They have a separate door for doctors, apparently. You just walk right back. I didn't have to wait or anything. And uh, they gave me this magical stuff called Tamiflu. Now think about, first, you know, this generation. Uh, they're in the wilderness. There's no Tamiflu. There's no Med Express. And so to, to put people outside... The camp is very, it's, it's practical. It's like when I came home, Olivia quarantined me to my bedroom. I wasn't allowed to come downstairs. Um, and it was too late. I'd already contaminated everything. Xavier got the flu. Then Karis got the flu. But we're better, right? We're, we're up and, but don't, you probably don't want to hug us, right? Uh, and so this is not God being mean and kicking people out. This was him caring for all of, you got to, remember there's, there's about a million Jews inside this camp. And something like the flu could just dominate. And so you got to remove that from the camp. Uh, and, and so th there's this picture there that God was being pastoral. Um, but then there's this, it, it also just shows us who God is. That God who dwelt inside the camp 
would not allow something that was unclean to be in the camp near him. That God only allows things that are clean to be near him. And so we learn something about God from Numbers 5. That God is clean and he's not going to be around unclean. That it's got to be the only way to be. And, and so this is coming into this new covenant, the New Testament. We, we, we understand this, that God is not going to allow unclean things to be in heaven. Revelation 21, it's not on the screen, but that's a great reminder. Revelation 21 says that heaven is God's dwelling place. And then he begins to list some sins. Uh, and these are all moral things. These aren't physical things like, like here in Numbers. It's not things like leprosy, but it's things like um, liars, um, adulterers. Those things aren't going to be in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Revelation 21 says that. says that nothing unclean will enter into his dwelling place. And so... Working back now to Hebrews 13, we have this, this section that talks about that, um, you know, there's this altar for those, um, from those who serve the tent, have no right to eat, for the body of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as a sacrifice for the sin are burned outside the camp. And so you see that back on the screen, Hebrews 13, 9 through 11. How does he tie all this together? This is so beautiful. Look at this. Hebrews uh, 13, 12. It says, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Uh, and, and so here's this picture that, that Jesus suffered where? Outside the gate in order to sanctify... To make clean, that's what sanctify means, to make clean. Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. You don't seem fascinated by this. What, is, what does this mean? What this is saying is that here comes Jesus along. He leaves heaven. He's clean. Now, in Leviticus 15, it, it goes on to, to tell everybody in Israel, if, if you touch someone who's leprous, so they're, they're unclean. If you touch them, now you're unclean. And it gives you all these things that you have to do. You have to go outside the city walls. Now you've become unclean. If someone has a discharge and you touch them, now you become unclean. If someone is dead and you touch someone who's dead... Now you become unclean. And it gives all these ways that you have to cleanse yourself. But it never tells you that you're going to be fully clean. And so here comes Jesus. Now think about this. Jesus, he's perfectly clean. He's fully God. He's holy, righteous. And it says that he suffered outside the gate. Who's outside the gate? Dog. Who's outside the gate? Who's outside the camp? All the unclean people, right? If you're unclean, get out of here. We don't want you. And sometimes 
That kind of attitude comes into the church and it has no room for it. There's this attitude that you can't come in here until you get your life right. It's not the way it's meant to be. You'll see Jesus modeling this for us. Jesus goes outside the gate, outside the camp in order to sanctify the people through his blood. So here comes this man, Jesus, perfect in every way, the spotless lamb. And he goes outside the camp. Think about it. Let me give you a good example. You can jot this down. Luke chapter 8. Oh, it's so beautiful. Luke chapter 8, this man named Jairus comes to Jesus and says, Hey, my daughter's sick. I need you to come and make my daughter better. Let me just tell you, last week, Xavier was sick. And, uh, and you know, when we're sick, it, we all respond differently. And, man, there was a moment where he was really scaring us. Uh, I was crying. Uh, I was just scared. I'm like, Lord, please heal my son right now. And this, is, this father saying the same thing. Jesus, I know that you can make my child better. Please come and fix, fix my, my child. And, uh, and Jesus saw his faith and wanted to go and, uh, and um, meet this child. Along the way, um, to meet, um, to go to Jairus' house, he comes in contact with a group of people. Where, you know, wherever Jesus goes, there's a multitude of people. You know, he, he was like, let's just see what he's going to do today. And so... Multitudes of people follow Jesus. And on that day in Luke 8, maybe you remember this in Luke 8. So Jair says, you know, come, my child is not feeling well, my, my only daughter, please come heal her. And then along the way to Jairus' house, there's this crowd. And um, this person, this lady who has a discharge, and she had a discharge for 12 years, Scripture says in Luke 8. For 12 years, she had spent all of her money on physicians, and she could not figure out how to stop this discharge. So this lady was what? She was unclean. And she, this, she sees Jesus, and she's like, this is my chance. And she comes up, and she touches. Now, remember, there's a multitude of people around Jesus, and she touches Jesus, and Jesus perceives that power had come out of him and that someone had touched him. And, and he says, who touched me? And, and, and she says, Master, it's a, it, it, was, it was me. I, I, I touched you. And um, this is what's incredible. In the Old Testament, Leviticus, if someone touched someone who had a discharge, they would become unclean. But here Jesus is touched by this lady who was unclean, and yet that's not what happens. He who was clean was touched by the woman who was unclean, but yet the woman who was unclean becomes clean. And he who was clean remains clean. This is incredible that Jesus is going outside the gate. 
And he's being touched by this lady who's been bleeding for 12 years and can't figure out what in the world's going on or some type of discharge. And yet she's miraculously healed. So then, like, you, you just marvel at that, that Jesus is somehow above the law, like, that doesn't impact him. He's not unclean. And then he continues on his journey, and he comes to the house in verse 51. And when he gets there, there's other people already there, and they're weeping because she was already, they, they, they said that she's dead, that, um, and he says, do not weep, for she is not dead. And they just began to laugh at him in verse 53, because they, they knew that she was dead. Okay? You remember back in Numbers 5, if something's dead and you touch it, you become unclean. So look, I love what Jesus, and he doesn't do this every time. There, there's, there's sometimes where he's not even in the same location, and he raises people back to life. But I love in this time in, in, how Luke records this. That, verse 54, but taking her by the hand. So the moment, now Jesus knew the Old Testament. He knew that touching this little girl who's dead would make him unclean. But he knows that it doesn't work that way for him. He picks her, he, he grabs her hand, and he says, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them not to tell, uh, to tell no one what had happened. So in light of that, Hebrews 13. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. This is absolutely beautiful for us. That Jesus can touch the unclean. And the unclean does not make him unclean. But he can make the unclean clean. This is so practical for us. This is missional for us. Look at verse 13. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Uh, and So here, here's this picture that Jesus looks at you this morning, and you come in here this morning, and maybe you feel like, man, I'm unclean. I, I, if people knew what I have done, you wouldn't touch me. You wouldn't want me in this room right now. I've done way too much in my past. I'm so unclean. I'm dirty. I'm filthy. And Jesus looks at you, and he grabs a hold of you, and he says, come here. Let me embrace you. And he takes all of your, and this is what's incredible. He takes everything that made you unclean, and he took it on himself to the cross. And, and, and all the wrath and punishment that you should have had, he takes it for you. And now what happens is, is the unrighteous, which is all of us, we were, we were all unclean. Now he imparts his righteousness upon us. We become clean. It's the same thing. What happened physically to the lady and to the little girl spiritually happens to us. 
When we embrace Jesus, He takes all of our sin and failures and junk that we've done, and He makes us who are unclean clean. It's like, I know sometimes we, but we feel like, Jesus, don't come near me, right? You ever felt that way? Like, I, I've been there, where I'm like, God, just, I can't come to you. Like, you ever felt like you can't even open the Bible or pray to him? Like those mornings, those nights, maybe you've messed up again after you've told him, I will never mess up again, and you did it again. You've been there? You with me this morning? And you just feel like, I, I just can't come to him because I'm so filthy. And he goes, man, look. I'm outside the walls with you. It's not about you getting your life right and getting clean so that you can come back inside the camp. It's let me come outside the camp with you. Let me come out there where it's messy. That's where Jesus meets you in your life, where it's messy. He doesn't, he doesn't require you to get all holy and righteous and clean so you can come back in the camp and pretend like everything's good. Right? He goes out to your mess. That's where Christ meets you. And then we have, this is such a missional verse right here. Therefore, let us go to, him, go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Where does Jesus, what does he call for us to do? Now we come out there where the mess is. That, that's what the church is supposed to be about. That's not about coming into here Sunday morning and looking all nice and being all pretty and our life's all together. No, we're, we're just, we're the ones who realize we're in the mess. And we come together with the collective mess. And we talk about how can we encourage each other and, and go outside where the mess is still going on. That's where God's calling you this week, is to go outside the camp. There's people hurting outside the camp right now. It's messy out there, let me tell you. When we were all there, maybe some of you are still outside. It's not easy, but we're called to engage the city. We're called to go out in this mess. Where do you work, live, and play? Where do you work? That's where God's calling you right now. He's calling you to go out and suffer. There's people that you work with that may drive you crazy. God's put you in their life. Where do you live? Your neighborhood needs you. There's a neighbor right now that they have no clue that of this message, this gospel message that Christ came outside. Uh, the city walls and suffered. God put you in your neighborhood. Who have, who's the last person from your street you've had over to your house? Where do you play? What are the things you love to do? For me, it's baseball. Right now, and that's where I'm, most evenings are at the baseball field. Uh, and and um, there's a... There's a group of us that have just looked at Little League and said, we're going to be missional there. That's where we just love. Our kids are in that season, and, and so that's where we're going to just invest in. We're going to get dirty. There's a kid in that room right now 
that's here this morning because we've engaged in Little League Baseball. There's no other reason he'd be here this morning, but he's on our baseball team. And Jamie and Crystal have just, they've gone by, they're picking him up, and they'll take him home today. They've, they've brought him over to their house and just loved on him and his cousin. He is only here because the berries are missional, and they've gone outside the city walls. And his home life is probably not perfect, like most of ours aren't perfect, but it's redeemable. And God has a plan for that little boy's life. Where do you play? What do you love to do? And how can you be missional? That's what God's calling us. He's calling us to be missional. We did not start this church in Huntington as an end point to get a building. It was not like, we're going to start a church and when we get a building, we've kind of arrived. Now we're church. That's ridiculous. This building is just training, a place to do training, to encourage each other, to use, to equip so that we can go out and reach the city, to push back the darkness that's here. And it's going to be ordinary men and women like us that God is going to use to impact this city. Let's keep going, verse 14. This is why we can... Wow, we can, it's such a mess and there's going to be hard days, hard weeks, hard years, but this is why we can keep moving forward. This has been the challenge of Hebrews, the whole book. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. That's why you can keep moving forward, because this is not it. Huntington is not forever. It's for a moment, but for this moment, man, I'm going to chase hard after it. I'm going to put everything I have. Ah, I really want to finish this race exhausted. Because I know one day I'm going to be renewed. And there's something better waiting for me. There's another city that is to come. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledges his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. We are called to share what God has given us. And now I think that is financially. I think that is uh, spiritually how you're gifted. It's not right for us to keep our gifts to ourselves. We are called to use our gifts for others. That's why they're always linked in the New Testament with a one another statement. Because they're meant to be used. And if you just come on Sunday morning and you don't do anything to further the purpose of this church, but you call this your church, shame on you. Shame on you. You're a spectator. God's calling you to be engaged, to, to use your gifts to further this, the, the purposes of this church in this city. But my concern is many of you just come Sunday morning you like, check a box, I'm good. I did that thing. God's saying, man, there's so much more. You're missing out on this incredible journey of how you can be like Jesus. How you can get your hands messy. Man, I love going to Spring Hill on Fridays. That carnival, that was so much fun. And uh, I, I got in a dunk booth, and those fourth graders just wore me out. I went from having the flu to having pneumonia. That water was freezing. 
But I just watched those kids just light up when we're there. Uh, man, and I just, that's just one part of Huntington. This morning, uh, you know, I entitled this, this uh, passage as Jesus, the ultimate leader. And we have this uh, calling here in verse 7. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. There's no greater leader than Jesus. When I was in the army, they trained us. Never ask your people to do something that you're not willing to do yourself. And that is a great definition of a, of a good leader. And Jesus set the example for us as the ultimate leader. He, he left something very comfortable, something very convenient. And he put the interests of others before his own interests. And this morning we have an opportunity to remember the greatest leader that's ever walked this earth. And so... The first Sunday of the month, we do something called the Lord's Supper, and it's something that Jesus commanded his disciples to do. He said, every time you guys meet together, I want you to remember me. Remember me. Remember what I've done for you, that I'm going to go to the cross, and my body is going to be broken for you, and my blood is going to be shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And so he told them, he said, take this bread and, and, and eat of it and take this cup and drink. And, and it'll be a reminder, at that point it was what I was going to do for you. But he was telling them, he was establishing this idea of this, the Lord's Supper that we're 2,000 years later almost. And the church is still practicing this, this element. And we're still remembering what he's done for us. And so this morning, you have an opportunity to remember your leader, the ultimate leader, Jesus Christ, who came outside the camp to get you. He was on a rescue mission. And he wasn't looking for all the people who were clean. He was looking for all of the dirty people, all the filthy people. In case you didn't know, that was all of us. And he came and rescued us. And so this morning, we have a chance to remember him. And so, uh, for us, if you're a guest this morning, if you are a Christian, you've been baptized, you, you trust him, uh, you know that you're going to be in heaven, then we invite you to be a part of this. Um, we just ask that you just spend some time confessing sin, just making sure that, you're, uh, that you don't take uh, this table too lightly, that you've, that you've reconciled with anyone that you need to reconcile with. And so, um, before you come, just spend some time confessing sin, um, and then whenever you're ready, you come, and you, there's two stations, so there'll be two lines. You come to either one, and you just take a piece of the bread, which represents Christ's body that was broken for you, and then you just dip it in the cup, which represents His blood that was shed for you. And then you can take and eat that bread wherever you want, there, or back in your chair, but whenever you're ready, you come. If you are not a Christian, then I ask right now that you just, you don't take of this cup. That you just sit and you just reflect on why you've never surrendered to a, a God that would leave his throne and come and die for you.
What's holding you back this morning from surrendering that to Jesus? That Jesus can make everything in your life uh, make sense. But you've got to surrender that control to him. You've got to bow your knee. You're no longer the king. You make him the king. And so if, 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 if that's you, then we ask that you not take. But I ask that you make that decision to follow Jesus, that you would talk to me or whoever invited you. I'll be in the back. Um, it's not complicated. You just got to confess your sin and trust that he died for you. We'll figure out all the other stuff later. And so whenever you're ready, you come. So I'm going to pray for us, prepare our hearts to take of the Lord's, Lord's Supper. Lord, this morning we, um, we just want to stop and remember you. You are the ultimate leader. Uh, and Lord, we just want to celebrate you. Uh, we want to honor what you've done for us, that you left your throne and that you came um, to this place um, to die for us. You suffered the sins that we should have suffered. And Lord, you took us who, was un who were unclean and you made us clean. Lord, may we never get over that. That's why we want to keep coming back to this table. So we remember what you've done for us. Help us, Lord, to never get over uh, what you've done for us at salvation. That we are now clean and spotless. And that we can enter the holy place of God by your blood. Prepare our hearts, Lord. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.